But I would like you to turn to the person next to you and say to them, what is she doing? Can you just do that? Just turn to the person next to you and say, what is she doing? What's she doing? What is she doing? Now, of course, what you're wondering is who is the she? Who are we talking about here? Okay, so Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Story about Jesus. A few verses. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped their money in. Many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and she dropped in just two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples over to him and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who made contributions because they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. Everything that she had to live on. Which makes us ask the question, what is she doing? What is she doing? A widow with no other means of support, no social welfare, clearly no family to look after her. She gives all the money that she has into the temple offering. What is she doing? What is she thinking? She's gone mad. How is she going to take care of herself? How is she going to live? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. So there's a burglar, and he's going through a house in the middle of the night. He's got his swag bag on. And as he's, as he's going through, he's got his little torch. He hears, he hears a voice in the darkness calling out, Jesus is watching you. And he turns around, he thinks, oh, what, 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 where's that coming from? He's getting the torch around, and again he hears the sound. Jesus is watching you. And he, and he keeps moving the torch around, and then he, he lands the torch on a parrot. It's a true story. And, the, and he goes up to the parrot and says to the parrot, did, did, you, did you just say that? Jesus is watching you. And the parrot said, yes. Because parrots can talk, can't they, Hugh? You know that. We all know that. So he said, yes, I, I, I did say that. He said, my name is Moses. Moses the parrot. And so the burglar said, what kind of people call a parrot Moses? And the parrot says, well, the same kind of people that call that Rottweiler over there Jesus. (laughs) True story. In our story today, Jesus is watching. He's sitting in the temple and he's positioned himself to watch how people are responding with their money, how people give. And it's really clear from the story that Jesus is not impressed by the size of the gift, but he's really impressed by the size of the heart, by the size of the heart. In fact, in in another passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like what you and I spend our money on tells a lot about what we think is really important, where our priorities are, what has our heart. 
And by saying all these things, Jesus is making it really clear that like, God doesn't need your money. If he really needed your money, he would be like, we need those big gifts. But he really does want your heart. He doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. He wants you and I, just as, as we're going to explore in the story, to ultimately trust that he and he alone is our saviour and our rescuer and our provider. And that money ultimately is not our saviour and rescuer and provider. He's provoking us, as he does in many other stories and parables. He's provoking us with the question, is Jesus God or money your real God? What is the most important thing to you? How we use our money matters to God because it reveals something about our heart. And that's why this widow gets Jesus' attention. Because when he sees what she does, he knows there is something going on in our heart. There is something that she must be believing that's triggering this kind of behaving. Because it's extraordinary. Like, what is she thinking? And so I want to suggest to you there are three things going on for this, for this lady that maybe God wants to speak to us today. And the first is that, number one, she genuinely and completely does trust in God. She trusts God. She has made the decision. She has resolved in her heart that her life ultimately is not in the hands of other people and it's not in the hands of finances and it's not in the hands of her job. She has resolved in her heart that her life is ultimately in the hands of God, that she trusts him. She's not looking to anything else to ultimately rescue her or provide for her. This is an act, this incredible act of generosity and sacrifice is a bold defiant in a consumeristic capitalist culture. It's a bold act of defiance. It's a bold act of worship. It's a bold act of gratitude, an overflow of gratitude. When I think of everything that you have done for me, God, how can I not be grateful and generous and sacrificial in response? This, this is a statement where she is clearly saying, I need God more than I need money. I need God more than I need money. Now, let me be clear. It is not bad having money. We all need money, don't we? Money is, is not bad. We all need it. And I'm aware that there will be some of us here today, and we'll know people that we know, and there are people in the community who, who are really facing maybe some insurmountable financial challenges right now. Maybe that's you or people that you know, and we know that's true in our community. We know that's true in our world. God deeply cares about that. We care about that. So I'm not trying to be frivolous or, or trite, saying like, we don't need money, we don't need money. We do need money. It's okay to have money. God just doesn't want money to have us. To have us. Thinking it is the answer to all our problems. If I could just earn enough money, if I could just get all this, then everything will be okay. Ultimately, this woman knows money will not save her. Money will not be able to fix everything. And so she is completely devoted to trusting in God. It's a bold act of worship as she gives so generously and sacrificially. Secondly, so number one, 
She trusts in God. Secondly, she deeply cares for people. She deeply cares for people. This is a bold act of compassion. Because she knows that this money, providing the temple's running well, if she puts money into the temple system, then people will be taken care of. The priests who run it, they'll be looked after and they'll be fed. But not just that, the community. They'll be, the, this temple will serve the community and help the community both practically, but also spiritually helping people to connect with God. She knows that this money will meet the needs of people and therefore, despite her own financial challenges... She is willing to go without because she knows that other people perhaps need it even more than she does. It reminds me of something the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, This guy who became a follower of Jesus um, after the early church was born. And he wrote to a church in a city called Corinth. And he was telling them about the incredible generosity of some churches in Macedonia. And this is what Paul says about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to 5. He says this, Brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they were able to, they, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves to the Lord. They trusted in God. And then they gave for the will of God to us. They cared for people. That was their motivation. There are people who need help. We'll go without so that they go with. Some of you have heard the story that I've told. Back in 2001, when I used to work for Urban Saints, the youth missionary charity, and uh, we took uh, a group of 10 or so 13, 14, 15-year-olds to Romania. And uh, they were involved in practical projects there. They, they ran holiday clubs. They were kind of painting houses, very practical things uh, for two weeks. And when it came to the penultimate day, uh, they decided to, to go into town uh, with the money that they had and buy presents for themselves and buy presents for their family. And as they were walking into the city centre, they walked past a, a, a large bush and they heard this commotion under the bush. And they looked under the bush and there were a group of children. And they suddenly became aware that this is where the children lived. This was their home, sleeping on newspaper. And then they had a dilemma. Because they believe in a Jesus who doesn't walk by. A Jesus who cares for the widow and the orphan. And so they have this decision. And so they came up with a crazy idea. You, You may not approve of this idea, but they basically scooped up these kids and they marched them down the street because at the end of the street was the land of the golden arches. McDonald's. McDonald's. And so instead of spending all their money on themselves, they spent the whole afternoon partying and feeding these Romanian orphan kids the exquisite cuisine of Big Macs and McFlurries. They didn't speak the language at all. They didn't know a single word, but they spoke the language of love. 
And if you imagine like the day before, maybe every single day, if you could allow your imagination to go that these or maybe these orphan kids would have their faces pressed up against the window at McDonald's and no one ever gave them permission to go in. No one ever allowed them. They were seen as the scum, the out. No one wanted them. But on this day, on this day, a bunch of 13, 14, 15 year olds made a decision. We will go without so that these kids can go with, at least for an afternoon. When they appeared, uh, when they flew back to the UK, and uh, one of our team members was married to a Times reporter, and they did an article. And the article was published the following week in the Times Education Supplement, and it was called The Trip That Ended in Tears. And it wasn't because it had all gone wrong, it was because their heart broke for the situation, and they knew they had to go home and leave them behind. And there was an opening quote that the, the, the article literally had a photo of them. The, the article began with a sentence from a 15-year-old boy, and he said, my life will never be the same again. Why, because he got a new phone? No, because he made a choice to go without, out of his love and care for people so that others could go with. That's what's going on here. She trusts in God, she cares for people, and then finally, she knows through doing this, there'll be blessing. She knows that good things will come. And, and, and this is my little title of this message. This message is called Hope in the Sacrifice. Because this looks, we said at the start, what is she doing? What is she thinking? This looks like a completely hopeless, ridiculous thing to do. But this, my friends, is actually a bold declaration of hope by what she does. Because she knows, she believes that by this trusting in God and this caring for people, this is going to do her good. And it's going to do her good in a couple of ways. Firstly, she will experience, and many of you, maybe all of us know, she's going to experience the joy of doing something good for someone else. And that, that does us good. That literally does us good. When, when we serve other people, when we're kind, and, and an act of generosity literally does our emotional and spiritual well-being good. 2,000 years later, we know that is actually physiologically true. That when you do something, your body releases three hormones. It's called the helper's high, this trifecta of hormones that will make you feel good. When you do something for someone else, you literally feel better about yourself. So she's going to experience this. But more than that, she knows that if she takes care of what matters to God, that God will take care of her. If she takes care of what matters to God, God will take care of her. But there's this really fine line here, isn't there? Because there's a risk this becomes a transaction. God, I've done all these things for you. Now, God, you owe me. You know, this, this can get twisted into, like, you sow your 10 pounds, I expect 100 quid back. It's not like that. This lady gives, she doesn't give, rather, in order to get... That's not her motive for doing it, but she knows it is impossible for her, in the economics of the kingdom of God, it is impossible for her to give and not be provided for. It's, do you understand that fine line? It's not her motive. It's not, God, I've done all these things, now you owe me. It's not that. But she knows if she pours herself into things that matter to God, that God will take care of her. How many of you know in this house the truth of that reality? 
that when you give and you serve into what matters to God, then he looks after you. This sacrificial act, which looks like helplessness, looks like hopelessness, is actually a bold act of hope. You think I'm, being stu- I'm not being stupid. I have hope. God's going to take care of me. There's a beautiful verse, another one from the Proverbs. Proverbs 11.25 says this. What a stunning verse. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. My, my nanny is Alice. She passed away quite a few years ago now. And uh, she had a difficult life. She was a widow. She was a widow. She was widowed twice. Uh, her first husband died after seven years of marriage and had three kids. And then she married my grandfather, Ernest, and he was killed in a coal mining accident after seven years. That's tough. And she, by then, had given birth to my dad, who was two years old when Ernest died. And she didn't know when she heard the news of Ernest dying that she was actually expecting uh, my uncle David. She's a widow. She's getting a little widow's pension. Remember, like, this is, this is a long time ago, friends. A long time ago. Widow's pension. This is over 75 years ago, 80 years ago. Think how hard it was. You know, social welfare wasn't as good as it is now. And even now it's not great, is it, sometimes? She's got a little widow's pension, and she does a very, very low-paid cleaning job. She's got four kids and another one on the way. But she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. And I know this story because, like, you know, she was alive for a lot of our life and we would talk about these things. And she trusts in Jesus and she cares for people and she knows that Jesus is going to take care of her. Did she cry? Of course she cried. Did she have moments of doubt, wondering what on earth is going to happen? Of course she did. But she spoke to herself through those things and placed her hope on Jesus. So she would keep giving. And she served in the life of the local church because she trusted in God, she cared for people, and she knew that God would take care of her. She came home one day, even before David was born, and there was a a big airmail box on her doorstep from Canada. She didn't know anyone from Canada. And she brought the box inside, every box inside, and when she opened it up, inside the box was everything anyone would need for the first year of a new baby boy's life. Clothes, toys, kind of, you know, products and things like that, like just literally loads and loads of stuff. To the the day she died, she never knew who it was from. She didn't even know she was having a boy. But when she took care, even in the midst of her suffering, of what mattered to God, she encountered the God who went way ahead of her and kept taking care of her. I've got so many stories like that, I'm sure you do too, and sometimes I've told a story like that, even in this church, and someone's come up to me afterwards and said, oh, I I never get those kind of things happen to me. And I always gently, not accusingly, very gently say, are you living a generous lifestyle? Are you doing your finances God's way? Because if you choose to do your finances your way, then God will leave you to it. 
Because I remember we used to have a guy in this church called Brandon, and he, he said his definition of God's judgment, this is the best definition of God's judgment. We don't like to think of God judging us. But he said, God's judgment is life on your terms. God's judgment is, however you want to do your life, I'll leave you to it. So if you want to do your finances your way, then you'll reap the fruit of doing it your way. But if you want to do your finances my way, then you'll reap the fruit of that. However you want to do it, of course, there's moments of grace because God is so good to us. But, but the challenge of this lady is this challenge of, am I trusting ultimately in God, not money? E- even in moments of my lack and challenges, am I prepared to go without so others can go with? And in doing that, trusting that I do this as an act of defiant hope that God will take care of me. How do we put this into practice today, friends? And on one level, you know, the most important thing is that we're people who wake up every day and we're asking God by his spirit to show us the places where we can be generous. And I don't just mean with our money, but in every way. To be generous. To be other-centered to go without in all that we can go with. But, uh, but if you are a member of the Zio family, if you call Zio your home, I, I'm inviting you today to very practically respond to this as we seek to lean in together to impact our world. And I'm, I'm inviting you to respond very practically in three ways. Number one, I'm, in, I'm inviting you, and many of you already do, to make the sacrifice of your time. That, that you would be willing once a month, maybe even you know, every other month, but once a month you would be willing to play your part in helping this family of God be good news. When we gather here, when we're doing helping hands, that all of us are carrying the load together that you would make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to go without doing that, that I, maybe I love doing that, in order that one Sunday a month I'm going to help in the host team. Or I'm going to give up a Friday evening, and I love my Friday evenings, in order to join Steph and the team loving young people. I'm going to, I'm going to give up some time in order to care and support others. That's the first thing uh, the impact of our church would be revolutionized if everybody was willing just to do something. And everybody can. Everyone, even if it just means you're smiling at someone as they walk in the door, as the hosting. That's the first thing. The second thing, if not already, if you're not already doing this, I want to encourage you to make the regular sacrifice of giving every month into what God's doing, into the life of this church. To, if, if this is your family, if this is your church, if you're excited about what God's doing in, in every way, I want to invite you, encourage you to, to commit, to give regularly into the life of the church. And again, remember what I said, God doesn't want your money, doesn't need your money, but, he, but this is an expression of our heart that we're giving because we're trusting in him. And if you've never done that before, then start somewhere. You know, there's a lot of talk in the Old Testament about tithing, which is 10%. And you might go, 10 per what? 
Like, if, if that is way too much, then just start at 2 or 3% or what have you, or start at 10 pounds, but start, but seek to keep growing it. Like, every year, Amy and I challenge ourselves to give away a bigger percentage of more money than we did the year before. And we're doing it to stretch our faith and make sure money doesn't have us. Make sure that money doesn't have us. I don't encourage you to do that. Like, we... We can all do something. I'm not asking anyone with these things to get into debt. We can all do something, even if it's five. So something as an act, a starting position of faith. That's the second thing. And then thirdly and finally, uh, again, if you're part of the Zio family, you will know that um, once a year, we set aside a month where we say, in this month, we're going to take up an over and above offering to support things that, feel really important that God's laid on our heart. And so in the month of March, next month, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take up a a special offering uh, that we're going to all pray and ask God what we should give. And that's going to go to four things, which I'm going to mention to you now, and then we'll come out in an email as a really practical response to this. Now, number one, many of you will know that in Leona Vicario Jungle in Mexico, we have Paul and Elaine Little who, by the way, sold everything they have and went to move to Mexico. They have no house, they have nothing. And they live in a jungle. And, uh, and one of the many things that they do, because he's a builder, is that they build houses for families who live in terrible accommodation. Take a, take a look at this, if you can see this. You can maybe just switch the light off for a second, uh, Brian, if you can do that, so you can see. But it's hard for you to see this, but we'll put it out in the picture. But basically what you've got here is you've got Maria and her family, and they live in, in what's called a palapa. It's basically a makeshift house with materials. Can you see that bit better now? So that's Maria there. That was their house. Pieces of wood... It's literally a mud floor, and she's a single parent, and that's her life. It doesn't take much to figure out what a hurricane's going to do. Keep rebuilding the house. Well, 18 months ago, Paul and some team, if you look at the next one, they built this house. Proper, strong, concrete bit house. Rains may come, that house is going nowhere. That house is going nowhere. And... Um, Um, Paul and Elaine, in the last three years, have built 32 houses for people and one schoolhouse. And they have have surveyed the terrain in Leona Vicario jungle, and there are 100 families that live in those palapas. So their goal over the next five to six years is make sure every one of those families has a proper house. Wouldn't it be amazing, £4,000, by the way, to build one of those houses... Wouldn't it be amazing if we could raise enough this year that they could build four or five houses? Four or five houses. And one of those houses is the house that we're going to help build when a team goes out in October, which is great. That's the first thing. Secondly, many of you will know that we have a community fund. And in the last six months, we've given away six and a half, or we've spent six and a half thousand pounds on very practical needs of people in the community who are financially struggling. Sometimes we've paid bills, sometimes we've repaired a washing machine, sometimes we've bought a washing machine. Our amazing monthly Helping Hands team have painted their houses, we've carpeted stuff, we've done gardens, we've, we've bought a lot of school shoes and school uniforms, particularly for families who found themselves over here in our country. Wouldn't it be amazing 
if we could get another £10,000 or something into that fund, there's about 10000 in it already, we, we want to we wanna boost that fund. Wouldn't that be great? You're very quiet. <laughs> I'm nearly done. Number three. This is Ethan Byrne. Um, Ethan is a, and Ethan's family are a friend of the McDonald's family. And if you've been on our WhatsApp prayer wall, sorry, there we go, thanks, Gary. On our WhatsApp prayer wall, you'll know that Ethan, who's 22 years old, was involved in a terrible uh, accident in Thailand, and the result was paralysed from the waist, from the neck down. And his family right now are trying to raise £150,000 to get him proper re- re- rehabilitation. They've raised 80. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could bless that family and give them thousands of pounds towards that? They're not Christians. It doesn't matter. We just want to love them. Shall I tell you a little miracle, though? Because we are obviously praying as well that God's going to heal him. And Christine literally said to me today that she had been praying, and lots of people have been praying that things will start to happen. She said, Lord, I pray that his, his, his hand will move. And she just showed me a video of this boy who was paralyzed from the wet down, moving his hand. Yeah. Moving his hand. So we're doing both. We're gonna, we're gonna, we, we don't want the money to be a worry for that family, and we're going to pray that he gets healed. And then the last thing that we want to give towards, you'll know that we are, our vision as a church is to see loads and loads, hundreds, thousands of mini churches of 15 to 20 people um, happening here and other places around the world. And we want to create a little incubator fund so people in this building who want to start something in a coffee shop or hire a hall or whatever, we've got some money that we can give to them to help them do what they want to do three ways we can practically respond if we're part of zeo family if you're here as a visitor today and you'll think like oh i've come to this church for the first time and just what i thought they always talk about money we never talk about money (laughs) like once a year you just happen to be here that once are you blessed (laughs) and it's not really about the money it's about the heart will i trust in god as my ultimate provider? Will I care for people? Will I go without so others can go with? And in doing that, will I believe that it's a defiant act of hope that God will take care of them and God will take care of me? And, if you're, and that's why in today, if you're a part of Zio family, every single one of us has a, has a form, a response form. On one side of it is a, an opportunity to express where you would be willing to serve. And if you're not already giving where you'd be willing to give, feel free to take that home, bring it next time. Or if you want to fill it in today and put it in the offering bracket, feel free to do that. But when, hey, I'm going to pray. You'll be pleased. Worship team, do you want to come up? You've been very patient with me. Uh, Patient with me. When everyone thinks that someone else will do it, no one does it. When everyone thinks that someone else will do it, no one does it. Let's make a choice today to practically respond to this as an act of faith, an act of defiance, hope in the sacrifice. Would you stand with me? And just for a moment, I just invite us just to take a pause moment, close our eyes. And we just, I just want us to ask God, what, what are you saying to me right now? The last thing, I'm so aware of the danger of a message like this to be manipulative. That is not my heart. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty or ashamed because you feel, I I don't have, like literally I'm too poorly to serve. That's okay. Could you pray? 
Or if you think, I've literally got no money, that's okay, don't worry, your time will come, don't worry. Don't want anyone to feel guilty. But that won't be true for most of us. How can we respond as an act of trust? And we will have, we'll sing a song and then we'll have a moment to, to pray a bit more for some people just before we finish. Lord, we, we lift this word to you today, this inspiring example of this widow. What was she thinking? How could she be so bold to give everything away? She's onto something, Lord, and I want a bit of that. I want to trust you as much as that. I want to care for people as much as that. I want to have that kind of hope in the midst of the sacrifice. So show this what this means for me. And show me what it means for us. And show us what it means for our community and our world, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.